Good morning. Yeah, Epicenter Church, you look good today. Give yourselves a hand. Well, I want you to take your Bibles out this morning and turn with me to Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 10. Let me kind of start this way. Has anyone in here ever dined and dashed? You know what that is? Let me tell you what that is. That's when you go to a restaurant and you consume the food and then without paying, you dash out the door. Now, let me say this to you. Kim and I have done this. And before you become all judgmental, I want you to hear us out. We didn't set out to do this. It it just happened. One day about a year ago, we went to a restaurant and... As we were in this restaurant, we finished eating, and as we finished eating, I reached for my wallet, and I realized I didn't have my wallet. And so I said, baby, you take care of, of this, you know, and she said, I, I don't have my purse. Yep, that's the way we felt. We began to plot and began to think, what, what are we going to do? And then all of a sudden, you know, we were thinking, we've consumed this food, you know, what, what are we going to do here? Then my beautiful wife said, you know what we can do? I can create a diversion. And then we can make a run for it, like Bonnie and Clyde. So my wife grabs the plate. She throws the plate across the restaurant. It makes this horrible noise. Everybody's looking over here. And when we do, I just turn around and she's already out the door. Crazy. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Sounded good though, didn't it? I'm not married to Bonnie. I'm, I'm married to Mother Teresa, so... My beautiful wife said, why don't we just go and tell, um, you know, the owner that we'll have to bring back the money. And so we did. We went and he was gracious and he said, yeah, that's okay. He trusted us to, to go home, get the money and bring it back. Notice I said he trusted us to go home, get the money and bring it back. The more I thought about that concept, I thought, man, that's the spiritual metaphor for our lives. So many times we get things from God and he entrusts us to bring those things back. But instead of bringing those things back, we tend to dine upon the blessings of God and then we dash. But God wants us to receive His blessings and then bring back glory to Him for those blessings. God wants us to receive things from Him and then have a thankful heart for the things that He has done. God wants to provide for us and then He just wants us to to bring Him glory and say, Thank you for, for giving to me. All He wants in return is for us to bring back what is already His. But so many times we have this consumeristic mentality where we dine upon things, but we forget God gave us those things, and we never bring back to God what is already His. We have this dine and dash mentality. In fact, I've been sharing with you some statistics over the last few weeks. I told you last week I wouldn't share them again, because I thought last week the series was over. But it's not. So I want to share some more of these statistics. I think you'll see that we do live in a very consumer-driven culture. A a, a culture that is very much dining and then dashing. In their pursuit of more, the United States has the highest incarceration rate in the world. The United States has the highest divorce rate of any other country. The United States has more car thefts than anywhere else in the world by far. There are more reported rapes in the U.S. each year than anywhere else. There are more reported murders in the U.S. 
than anywhere else. There are more total crimes. The United States has more police officers than anywhere else in the world. Wow, the United States spends much more on health care as a percentage of GDP than any other nation on the face of the earth. The United States has more people on pharmaceutical drugs, excuse me, than any other country on the planet. Americans have more student loan debt than anyone else in the world. More pornography is created in the United States than any other place in the world. In fact, the United States creates 89% of all porn. The U.S. has far more foreign military bases than any other country, and we have the most complicated tax system than any other country in the world. Does this sound like we're bringing back? No, it sounds like we're consuming all that we can and we're creating nothing but disaster. God wants us to bring back to Him, but there's just this, this breakdown somewhere. There's this breakdown in, in, in the overall scheme. We've become so consumed with dining on the good things of God, but not bringing back. In fact, it's even made it into the church. I want to show you something. Today I'm going to give you some numbers. I'm going to write numbers up here. I did some research this week on different denominations, if you will. And what I found when I was studying different denominations, I wanted to see what their growth trends were for 2010 and if there was anything posted for 2011. And what I found was something that was startling to me. And that is that many denominations would list the number of people who were converted or who gave their hearts to Christ as one thing. But their finishing number for the year didn't change any. So they started out with one number. This many people gave their hearts to Christ, but yet they didn't increase in number. So let me just pick on our denomination for a minute. The AG, the Assemblies of God. Here's what happened in 2005. We had 2.7 million people who called the Assemblies of God their home church in the United States. That's in 2005. 2.7 million people. Now, in between 2005 and 2010, there were 2.9 million people who gave their hearts to Christ during those five years. 2.9 million people who said, I want to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. 2.9 million in that five years. So you would think between year 2005 and 2010 that our numbers of people who called Assemblies of God Churches home would have gone to close to 6 million people. But it didn't. In fact, the year 2010, Assemblies of God Churches closed out the year with just 2.9 Nine million people who called the church home. Only 200,000 people stuck. Hold on a second. 2.9 million people received Jesus as a gift. But 2.7 million of them, after they received the gift, they didn't trust God enough with the gift to give back. To stay and get involved in a church. To, to fully trust God. When I saw that, I was kind of startled because I thought, you know what, one of the greatest spiritual failures that we have in our faith journey is trust. It's trusting God. You see, because trust has some characteristics that we're not comfortable with. Like, real trust is being obedient to God. 
Real trust is being selfless. Real trust is believing God can do the things that we cannot do. Real trust is giving our time and our energy back to God. Real trust is giving our talents and our abilities back to God. Real trust is bringing our lives back to God as an offering. In fact, did you know that Paul said that you should offer up your life as a living sacrifice to God? Did you know that? The Bible says that your life should be a gift to God, so He gives to you and you give back. Real trust gives energy back. Real trust even brings money back to God. So who do you trust? Or where is your trust, I should ask? I want you to listen to me this morning. Where is your trust? Should I ask, in whom do you trust? In 1864, there was a slogan that began to be stamped on our coins. In 1954, that slogan was adopted as the motto for the United States. That slogan is on that dollar bill that you have. I want you to take that dollar bill out and look at it. Flip it over to the back. What does that dollar bill say? In what? In what? In God we trust. Hold it up. Notice it does not say in the president we trust. Listen, no matter your political affiliation, we put our trust in any president, we're going to be in trouble. It doesn't say in the army we trust. No matter how great our army is, if we put our trust in the army, we're going to be in trouble. It doesn't say in ourselves we trust. It doesn't say in the doctor we trust. It doesn't say in the bank we trust. It doesn't say in our stock portfolio we trust. It doesn't say in our 401k we trust. It says in God we trust. The more I thought about that, I thought, well, God, give me a verse that kind of spells out trust. And that's where Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5, 6, and following come into play. I want you to see this. I hope you're already there. I hope you're taking notes. Here's Solomon who writes this, this verse. I think this is probably one of the most powerful verses in Scripture. But Solomon, who is the wisest man who ever lived, the Bible says that God himself gave Solomon his wisdom. The Bible also tells us that Solomon was probably the richest man or one of the richest men who ever walked the face of the planet. In fact, I did some research on Solomon one time and I found out that his net worth today, if he had the, what he had then today, that he would be the richest man on the planet. So he's the wisest, he's the richest. The Bible tells us he's pretty talented. So if any man could forge his own path, it would be Solomon because Solomon could trust in his own abilities, his own talent, his own wealth. But you know what? Solomon drew our attention to someone else. How does he start this verse? What does it say? The first word? Say it loud. Trust in whom? Hold on a second. Let me tell you what this word trust means because I don't want to gloss over it. The word trust in the Hebrew, which is the language that Solomon used, has a deep meaning. In fact, the word trust means to be totally dependent upon God. It means to literally lie face down before the Lord and say, I am yours. Do with me as you will. Whoa. It's pretty deep. Because we like to control our own destiny. 
lying before the Lord and saying, I'm all yours, God. Use me however you desire. That's powerful. But then the more I studied this Hebrew word, I found out there was something else about this Hebrew word. In fact, it paints this picture of God erecting this tent. And then taking you and placing you inside of the tent. And then He Himself comes inside of the tent. And as long as we stay inside the tent with God, everything is okay. So as long as our relationships are inside the tent, as long as our marriage is inside the tent, as long as our kids are inside the tent, everything's okay. But when we meander outside of the tent, that's when we kind of get away from God. That's the image that Solomon was painting when he used the word trust in the Lord. And then he said these words, with all of your what? When he wrote that, here's what he meant. He meant the totality of your being. Trust in Him with every fiber of your being. And then he said something else. He said, lean not on your own understanding. What he meant by that was... Don't rationalize things with God. Don't say, God, okay, I want you to handle the big things and I'm going to take care of the little things. He was saying, don't do that. But lean not on your own understanding. You know what the Bible says in the next part of the verse, in verse 6? Solomon says, so in all of your ways, acknowledge Him. Hold on a second. In all of your ways, acknowledge Him. What Solomon is saying to us is we have to acknowledge Him in our relationships. We have to acknowledge Him in our marriage. We have to give Him entrance in our occupations. When we don't understand how to do something, we go to God and say, God, I need help in my relationships. God, I need help in my marriage. God, I need help on the job. God, I need help with my kids. In all of your ways, acknowledge Him. And you know what? Once we acknowledge Him, once we give Him entrance into our lives... Look what it says. It says, and He will make your paths. What? The bottom line to what Solomon is saying here is that God desires to give you more. The the very fact that He wants to make your paths straight is a statement that was made back during those days of blessing. So He's saying, God wants to bless you. Now, let me ask this question before I go any further. How many of you would say you want God's blessing in your life? Just raise your hand. All over. You want God's blessing. Okay, keep them up real high. Okay, the rest of you that don't have your hand up, somebody make sure they're alive. Just punch them if they're next to you. Everybody in here wants God's blessing. Every last one of us. We want God's blessing in our lives. We want God's tangible blessing. And we want His intangible blessing. We want the favor of God in our lives. That's what we all want. The more I read this verse this week, and even though I've read it a thousand times, and I've even preached out of this passage a couple of times in six years, what came to life in me was the concept, and God put this in my spirit, and that is this, if you want more of God, you've got to be willing to give Him more of you. Hello? We can receive more of God when we're willing to give Him more of us. Because God does want to bless us. God wants to bless us with some intangible things. Like salvation. Like peace. Like joy. Like comfort. 
You know, those things that are intangible, grace and mercy. He wants to bless us with those things. But do you know that God desires to give to you some intangible blessings? I mean, some tangible blessings, excuse me. In fact, the Bible tells us that God has an economic stimulus package that is out of this world. Look at verse 9. Skip all the way down to verse 9. What's the first word? Honor the Lord with your what? Oh, hold on a second. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with all the first fruits of your crops. Hold on. And then, so what happens? What happens? Go to verse 10. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing. Hold on a second. Barns is the equivalent to our lives. God wants to fill your life with His blessings, His tangible blessings. God wants to fill your marriage. God wants to fill your occupation. God wants to fill your kids. God wants to fill your relationships. God wants to fill your bank account. God wants to do things in your life. But let me help you understand something. All of these things that we've been talking about for the last few minutes, they're all instigated by trust. Without the trust, you can't tap into the full barn. Hello? Without the trust, you can't tap into it. So here's what I want to do with you today. I want to give you some resolutions that I think you need to have in 2012 in order to tap into to God's blessing, financial blessing. Here's the very first thing that you need. I hope you're taking notes. Number one is I resolve to trust God more with my finances in 2012. Some of you right now, you're, you're hitting the brakes. <laughs> you're like, I don't want to talk about this. Pastor's talking about money. I don't want to discuss it. Let me tell you something. I wrestled with it all week. Kim will tell you, I wrestled with it all week. I haven't talked about money in two years. I wrestled with it. God, I don't want to talk about money. I know if I talk about money today, God, somebody will leave the church. God, I don't want to talk about money. I wrestled with this. I stood in the back of this prayer walk saying, I don't want to do this. Because I love everybody. But then God said something to me and put it in my spirit. And he said, if you don't preach it, they'll never reach it. You know, Jesus talked about money more than he did anything else. Did you know that out of 38 parables, 18 of those parables, Jesus talked about giving? Did you know that Jesus talked about money more than he talked about heaven or hell? You know why? Because he knew we'd get funny when it comes to the money. He knew it. And some of you right now, you're like, oh, you're the same way. You're like, oh, man, you're, you're willing to acknowledge God in all of your ways. You're willing to acknowledge him in your relationships and in your marriage and, and all of these other things. Man, you've got this thing called the wallet syndrome. God, I will acknowledge you and trust you in all of these ways, but not this way. God, I can't do it. I, cannot, I wish I could do it, but God, I, I know you understand. God, I just cannot trust you with my finances. God, God, I know you understand. I'm, I'll trust you with everything. I'll hang in the tent with you, God, on everything else. But when it comes to my wallet, it's got to stay outside of the tent. I trust you, God, with everything else. And I know you'll understand 
You're right. God does understand. He understands that you do not trust Him financially. That's what He understands. He understands you don't trust Him with your wallet. You trust Him with salvation. You trust Him with joy. You trust Him with health. You trust Him with love. You trust Him with mercy. But you don't trust Him with your money. Mm. Wow. In fact, verse 9 says again, look back at Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth. And then look at verse 10. Then your barns will be filled. Can I tell you something? Your barns cannot be filled if you don't first give God access to them. Now, let me just be honest with you. I, I, I prayed about this thing and I thought about this thing. And, and I thought, God, okay, where, where do you want me to go with this thing? And the more I thought about it, the more I prayed about it, God, your word says, trust in you with all of our hearts. Lean not upon our own understanding, but in all of our ways and acknowledge you. I know, I don't want to offend anyone, but God, I know if you talk about it a lot, then I need to talk about it. The things that matter to you, God, I, 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 need, to, I need to be sure to tell the, the people that are in my church. And, and so the more I did research, you know what I found? I found out that you cannot even talk about salvation without talking about financial terms. In fact, let me show you something. I want you to hang here with me. I'm going to give you a little crash course on, on finances really quick. Look what the Bible says in Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, I think it is. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. I may not have given you this beforehand, but Ephesians 1, 7 says, In Him we have what? Some of your translations will say, In Him we are redeemed. Redeemed is a financial term. Now skip down with me to verses 13 and 14 of the same chapter. Let me show you something. Verse 13 says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Verse 14. Who is a what? Guaranteeing. Another financial term. Deposit. Guaranteeing. Hold on a second. I didn't choose these words. God chose these words. When it came to talking about salvation, God chose to use financial terms. In fact, I could go a little bit deeper. Did you know the Bible says that Jesus paid for your sins? Another financial term. He bought all of the junk in your trunk. All of the sin, all of the rebellion, all of the stuff. He bought it. He paid the price for it so that you could have hope, so that you could have eternity, so that you could have some of those intangible blessings. He bought it. And then the more I thought about that, I thought, well, hold on a second, God. G give me a story that will help them better understand this. So I, I went to Genesis chapter 3, the very beginning of humanity. And something just awesome happened. You see, God had created this partnership with Adam and Eve. Now, I want you to hang here with me because this is cool. God had created this partnership with Adam and Eve. And, and, and He said, listen, I, I've given you this cool place to live. And that place was called the Garden of Eden. He said, you can hang out in the Garden of Eden. You can just do whatever you want. All of this stuff is, is yours, man. It's all yours. And they were like, man, this is awesome. And then he said this, everything that you see is yours with the exception of that one tree. 
That one tree is mine. That one tree is mine. Don't mess with it. Everything else is yours. But that one tree is mine. And then along comes the enemy slithering up on his belly. And do you know, the enemy did something crazy. He didn't say to Adam and Eve, hey, let's go over to another garden and let's build our own palatial treehouse. Let's go to another garden that's apart from God. He didn't say any of those things. You know what he did? He came into the Garden of Eden. He saw Eve and he pointed at God's tree. He pointed at the divine portion. So he said to Eve, that's what you need. He pointed to God's divine portion, the thing that he had said, do not mess with, that's mine. He pointed it out. And look what happens in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. I want you to see this. It says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and did what? She ate the divine portion. Hold on a second. She ate what God told her not to eat that was his. She ate it. And then she takes it back to, to Adam and being the dummy that he is. He ate it. And you know what the Bible tells us after that is that they became cursed. They ate God's divine portion and they became cursed. It was as if God said to Adam and Eve, there are ten trees in the Garden of Eden. Nine of them I'm giving to you. I want you to have these nine trees. They're yours. I love you so much, I want to give you these nine. All I ask you to do is not to mess with my one. These nine are yours. This one is mine. Yours, mine. Yours, mine. This is mine, 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 mine. And they ate his. They left their nine and ate his. Hold on a second. They left their nine and ate his. The more I thought about that, I thought, well, man, that's the way the enemy works even today. The enemy doesn't come slithering in today, but you know what the enemy does do? The enemy attacks us where we're least prepared. And you know where we're least prepared? For the most part, we do not have a plan for financial success in our lives. Most of us in here, we don't even have a budget. We're least prepared when it comes to our finances. In fact, let me show you something. Did you know that 60% of Americans do not have a budget? 60% do not track their income and their outgo. 60% cannot tell you where their money is going. 60% have no budget. Wow. Did you know that the average American has $20,000 in credit card debt? No plan. $20,000 in credit card debt. Did you know that if you pay the minimum payment on your credit card debt of $20,000, that you will never pay it off? Did you know if you're five days late on your credit card payment, just five days, it's due on the first, you pay it on the fifth. Just five days, it gets wrapped up in the mail or whatever the case may be. Just five days, they put a finance charge and a late fee. And at the end of three or four years, instead of having $20,000 in it because you've been late several times, now all of a sudden you've got $22,000. You've got more than 
more debt on your credit cards than your credit limits were. You'll never pay it off because you don't have a plan. You don't have a budget. Did you know that the number one cause, there's a 51% divorce rate in our country. And the leading cause for divorce is financial crisis. Financial. Okay. Don't get me on my spelling here. I know that's wrong. Crisis. I know how to spell that. Financial crisis. Hold on a second. The more I thought about that, I thought about the stats that we talked about at the very beginning of this day today. I thought about these numbers. And I thought, could it be that we have problems like this in our nation because we're eating the divine portion? Ooh. Hold on a second. Could it be that we have these issues in our lives because we are eating the divine portion? See, God wants to bless you. But God also wants you to plan for your financial success. God can't fill up your barns if you're continuing to spend what you don't have. God wants to bless you. God wants you to have a financial plan. God wants to bless you. Basically, what He was saying to to Adam and Eve is, 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 show me the money. Same thing He's saying to you today. Trust me with it. He was saying to them, I'm giving you all of this because I love you. I'm giving you everything you see because I love you. And all I'm asking you to do is have the discipline not to eat mine. I resolve in 2012 to trust God with my finances. Secondly, I resolve to be a tither. This is where the rubber meets the road. Tithing means that you give one-tenth. Tithing is 10%. Everything that God gives you, the Bible instructs us to give 10% of that back to God. In fact, it doesn't say give 10% back to God. It says bring 10% back to God. It's God's. Now, some of you may be asking, okay, well, is that on a gross paycheck or net? Oh man, I'm leaving that up to you. I'm just going to say, if you want a gross blessing, it's gross. If you want a net blessing, it's net. Leave that up to you. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. The Bible says everything that God gives to you. In fact, can I show you something in Malachi chapter 3? Some very hard words where it says, Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. And then you ask, you have the audacity to ask, How do I rob you? And then he answers and says, in the tithes and offerings. Wow. Verse 9. And because of it, you're under a curse. Because you're robbing me. Verse 10. Then it says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. The storehouse is the local body where you're being fed spiritually. That would be at the center church for you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Notice it says bring, not give. It says bring. Everybody say bring. bring. Really loud. Bring. Really, really loud. Bring. I got one paying attention down here. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. doesn't say give because you can't give something that's not yours. It's bring. Wow. 
So can I tell you something? If you're not bringing the whole tithe into the storehouse, if you're not tithing, you're eating God's divine portion. If you're waiting till the end of the month to see how much money you have left over before you tithe, you're eating God's divine portion. I know some of you maybe you've bought into maybe this Google thing where you know now you can Google everything and there's this thought out there that tithing was was an Old Testament law and we don't live under the law we live under New Testament grace and and the new covenant so I, I just want to kind of squelch that right here and let me help you understand something in the book of Hebrews chapter seven verse seventeen the Bible is talking about this dude by the name of Melchizedek. Melchizedek is the high priest that Abraham would actually take his tithe to. Now, I want you, everybody listen to me. Melchizedek was the one that Abraham would take his tithe to. And the Bible tells us this in verse 17 of Hebrews chapter 7. It says, and I probably didn't give you this one either this morning. But I know you're so cool, you're going to have it up for me. It says this, for it is declared, you are a priest forever. All of a sudden, the Hebrews writer is talking about Jesus in this verse. For it is declared, you, he's talking about Jesus, are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. What he's saying there is that now the Lord is the Lord over all the tithe. He is the one. Now we tithe. He continues the covenant that was established in the Old Testament. Now is established in the New Testament in the order of Melchizedek, Jesus. Now, I know tithing's hard. So I want, I want you to listen to me right here, right now. I want everybody to pay attention. I know tithing is hard. Giving 10%, some of us are living, you know, we need more than what we have. We have more month than we have money. I understand that. But I want you to, to hang out here with me for a minute because tithing has not always been easy for Kim and I. You go back several years ago, we were not tithing. We were struggling. We got to the point where one day we said, you know what, enough's enough. We're going to begin to tithe. It was in 1993. We're going to begin to tithe. If I have to go out and, and, and get a second job just to pay my tithe, then we're going to do it. And, and to be honest with you, that's how my business career was launched. I started a business on the side just so that I could pay my tithes and catch our bills up. So we made some arrangements in our finances and and... and we were at 5%. We couldn't start off at 10 right away, so we, we made some arrangements and we got to 5%. And then we got up to 7%. And, and it was a real struggle for us. It was a faith step. I, I'm not kidding you. And then finally we got up to 10%. We hung out at 10% until we got convicted. Now I want you to listen to me about conviction. My convictions may not be your conviction, but all of a sudden 10% was really nothing for me. 10% was not a faith step for me. 10% was just like nothing. I mean, you could give away 10%. And I felt God challenging us to say we need to go to 12%, 13%, 14%. Last year, 2011, Kim and I gave away over 23% of our income. Now, I'm not looking for a pat on the back. I don't want a pat on the back because, like I said, that may not be your, con your conviction. What I am telling you is that I believe in God's principles wholeheartedly. And I want God to fill up this barn. So we buy into it. Can I tell you something? And just to be quite honest with you. If we don't bring the tithe, if we eat the divine portion, how will we ever reach the lost? Because we won't have 
the finances to do it. If we eat the divine portion, how will we see marriages restored? If we eat the divine portion, how will we see kids saved? If we eat the divine portion, how will we see drug addicts recover? If we eat the divine portion, how will we see the brokenhearted mended? If we eat the divine portion, we can't eat the divine portion. We've got to create this culture of giving when it comes to Epicenter Church. And, and you're so good about it, but, but I, I want to challenge you more because I know God is challenging you. I can see it on the wall back here. You see, last year in 2011, did you know this church, you'll find this out this coming Friday night, but this church, Epicenter Church, gave away 11% of our overall budget. Gave away, I want you to listen to me, gave away 11% of our budget to needs in our community, to local home missionaries or programs or things that are in our community that we've partnered with, to missionaries who are around the world. We gave away 11% of our budget because I believe in the process. I believe that God wants to fill up our barns. So I'm asking you to buy into this. Don't eat the divine portion. In fact, I'm going to reinstitute something that we did a few years ago, and I'm going to give you this challenge again. It's called the 90-day challenge. Hang here with me because we're about to close. The 90-day challenge is this. If you're not a tither, I want to challenge you to become a tither for the next 90 days. This is how much I believe in it. If you will tithe for the next 90 days and at the end of those 90 days, you come back to me and say, Pastor Mark, it just didn't work in my life. I'm not going to buy into the process. Ask me back for your money and I'll give it back to you. That's how much I believe in it. It's a 90-day challenge. No risk. Sounds like one of those infomercials, doesn't it? That's how much I believe in it. Secondly, is I resolve to be a tither. Third is I resolve to live the blessed life. That's where I want to hang out. Verse 9, again, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Verse 10, Then your barns will be filled to overflowing. Your marriage your occupation, your finances, your life. Five ways that you can bring about this type of blessing in your life. I want you to write these down. They're not in your notes. They're on the screen, though. Number one, is keep your eyes on God and not your money. Number two, work hard. Be a hard worker. God doesn't bless laziness. Be a hard worker. Number three, pray about everything. Pray about everything. The big things, the little things. Pray about everything. Number four, create a budget and live by it. Create a budget and live by it so that you can keep the enemy out of your finances. 
And then number five, is always give first. Always give to God first. Where is your trust? And whom do you trust? Because we've got to do what our money says. In God we trust. That dollar bill I gave you today, I don't want you to even bring it back. I want you to keep it. I want you to take that dollar bill and I want you to place it in your checkbook. I want you to put it on your dashboard. I want you to tape it to your refrigerator for two reasons. Tape it on the side that's facing out in God we trust. Two reasons. Number one, to remind you to give first. And number two, to remind yourself to pray and to trust God in your finances. Some of you today, can I be honest with you, you're broken in so many areas. The barn in your life is dilapidated. Your relationships are messed up. Your marriage is on the rocks. Your job is not what you had hoped it would be. And you found yourself in a place that you never dreamed that you would be. And to be quite honest with you today, some of you have not had financial peace in your life. In fact, you haven't had any type of peace in your life. And you're just wondering where God's at. When is He going to hear your cry? When is He going to understand your plight? Let me tell you something. I don't know why I'm going in, in this direction because this was not planned. But I do know this, that God hears your cry. And whether you are lonely, whether you are broken, whether you have made more mistakes whether you have found yourself in a position that you never thought you would be in, whatever the case may be in your life, right now, God hears your cry. I want more in my life. More than anything else. I want more in your life. I want more healing. I want to see more marriages restored. I want to see more people snatched out of darkness. I want to see people get a second chance. I want to see people live under the blessing of God. 